All right, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And as we have been on Wednesday nights dealing with this issue of uh, evangelism and, and trying to reach the lost and being a witness for Christ, I, I just as I've prayed about this and really considered kind of the direction that uh, this ought to go, I felt it important to address a subject tonight. And, and I will admit at the outset, this is very much a topical uh, <clears throat> type of message um, but uh, to, I want to address a topic that, quite honestly, I don't know that I have ever heard a message on this subject alone. Now, what we're going to be doing is kind of contrasting two different, what I, would, what I consider to be two different extremes in uh, our approach to reaching people for Christ. And, and I want to, I've heard preaching on one or the other extreme, <laughs> But I have not heard necessarily a, an attempt at a balanced biblical approach to this matter. And this, this is an issue that we would, I, I refer to, and I think most of you would understand as, uh, as I talk about this, contrasting and comparing easy believism and lordship salvation. Now what I mean by that is, on one hand, uh, you have people who, when they, when they talk about salvation, when they try and bring someone to Christ, lead someone to Christ, uh, they are very quick to try and lead someone to a decision, and maybe you've even heard them before, uh, boy, we, you know, we went out soul winning today, and we were out for 45 minutes, and we had eight people get saved. Uh, or maybe you've read the prayer letters of the missionaries. You know, we had 200,000 people saved this year. You know, that kind of thing. And maybe you've read those numbers and gone, nah, that hasn't been my experience, you know, in, in trying to deal with people. On the other side, there's a philosophy that's often referred to as lordship salvation. And this is really the idea, and it, it gets its name from the idea that in order to be saved, Christ has to be Lord of your life, and oftentimes this approach in witnessing is very much focused on a person's willingness to turn away from anything and everything uh, in their life that, uh, that is not pleasing to the Lord and, and really making Christ Lord of your life. And I believe that both of these Issues and both of these perspectives in relation to uh, leading someone to Christ, in relation to their soul, is out of balance. And I will say that both, both of these different points of view actually have something for us to learn, while neither of them ought to be overemphasized. And so uh, I, I want to just at the outset say that this is not a a perfect science by any means, but I want to I give a, a biblical perspective on this issue of easy belie believism versus lordship salvation. Here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I want to begin reading uh, with, in verse number 5. <clears throat> it says here, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. 
Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. So what, what, what we're reading here is Paul saying, listen, some people want to identify with a certain teacher like Paul or Apollos. And they, one says, I am of Paul, another says, I am of Apollos, but here's what you need to know, we are nothing. We are just servants of the Lord, and if you are saved, you're saved because it is a work of God in your life. I may have been a planter, I may have been a waterer, I might have planted the seed, I might have come along later and been used of the Lord to water a seed, but the reality is that any, any good that comes, the results that come of that are of God. We are laborers together with God. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And this is important for us to understand as we go about being a witness, telling others about Christ, salvation is not a work of man, it is a work of God. It is not the work of the soul winner to lead someone to Christ that brings that person to Christ. On the same hand, or on on the same point there, it is not the work of the, the sinner coming to Christ to save himself. It is the work of God, and this work of God is wrought in a person's life through the preaching of the gospel, and that preaching of the gospel not only gives the information necessary, but actually brings about within the heart of that individual the faith necessary to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, right? And so we understand that this is a work of God, but it's a work that God has has included us in. We are laborers together with God. God doesn't just arbitrarily save people that have never heard the gospel, because Romans 10 tells us that you can't call on someone that you haven't believed in, you can't believe on someone you've never heard of. And so God, though it is His work to bring a soul to Christ, calls us and commands us to be the messengers by which others can hear the gospel and be saved. So then that leaves us with the question, how do I go about leading someone to Christ? Maybe you have uh, friends or you, you hear of people who are on that one side of, boy, uh, you know, I, every week they've got ten people that they can say they've led these people to Christ. And maybe you've looked at those and thought, <clears throat> you know... I wish that I was that spiritual, but I, I don't have that kind of fruit. And maybe that's caused you to feel inadequate or insecure. On the other side, I would say this, there are many people who have been saved for many years and have never led a soul to Christ ever in their life. And can I tell you that that is not natural either. There actually is a biblical perspective on this issue that I want to seek to, uh, to give you. But before I really delve into this biblical perspective on this, I want to give you a little bit of understanding of these two uh, separate points of view or approaches to witnessing and telling others about Christ. Maybe you're not real familiar with them. Here's the debate. There are two sides. 
the easy believism side and the lordship salvation side. Easy believism emphasizes that it is faith in Christ alone that brings us to salvation. Therefore, by believing on Christ, a sinner is converted and becomes a child of God. Now that in and of itself is actually very true, and it is an emphasis throughout all of Scripture. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The problem is that oftentimes the, the person who has a, a, a approaches evangelism from the standpoint of easy believism often leaves out the issue and the need for repentance in salvation. Or at the very least, downplays it to be simply a kind of a hurdle that must be overcome where a person will give a brief... Uh, acceptance of the fact that they are a sinner that needs to be forgiven, and then they quickly move on from that point. Within this particular framework, there, the emphasis is often placed on the simplicity of the gospel, though sadly, oftentimes, it is oversimplified to the point of ignoring important aspects of the gospel and the need for salvation. Within this particular framework of easy believism, the priority is often placed on getting professions of faith. In other words, the idea is if I can simply get a person to make a decision in this moment, they're, they're, they are then eternally saved, and so all I have to do is to get them to, to in this moment, accept some truths follow a process, pray a prayer, and that person is okay, and now I can say that I've led this soul to Christ. And I will tell you that having been involved in this myself, having been around uh, this mentality, I can tell you, uh, having been trained uh, at one point in my life in this mentality, in this mindset, I can tell you that in this way of thinking, if you carry it too far, the presentation of the gospel often becomes more about salesmanship than it does about presenting truth. The goal is to try and get someone to make a decision, to agree to some things, and because my desire is to get a result, I want this person to make a profession of faith, then I simply have to overcome objections. I have to be able to win an argument, and at times, and I've seen in very extreme cases of this, this mentality that basically says I'm going to pester this person until I irritate them to the point that they give in and make a profession of faith. Now, not everyone within this particular uh, uh, approach is going to do that, but, but it is something that does happen. I remember being in Bible college and uh, one of the uh, one of my fellow students got a job selling cars uh, at a uh, at a car dealership, 
And I asked him, he had been working in a construction job before that. I said, was that a pretty difficult transition to make to go from being kind of a blue collar construction guy to, you know, going into sales? He said, no, not really. If you've taken, and he mentioned the professor's name, if you've taken his personal evangelism class, you pretty much have figured out how to sell things. Now, he wasn't saying that in a negative light, but that kind of struck me wrong. Because I don't know that God has ever called us to be salesmen for Him. He's called us to be witnesses. He's called us to be messengers. He's called us to be preachers. But our job is not to sell someone on the concept of the gospel and salvation. Our job is simply to bring a message to them. And what they do with Christ is between them and God. Oftentimes within the easy believism movement, the emphasis is man-centric. That which is spoken of in regard to salvation and the benefits of salvation has to do with that which you will personally benefit from if you make the decision to follow Christ. In other words, it may go something like this. If you will accept Christ today, you can have your sins forgiven and you can go to heaven when you die. Now when you die, don't you want to go to heaven? You don't want to go to hell, do you? Well, no, of course not. Nobody wants to go to hell. So why don't you receive Jesus so that you can go to heaven? I mean, after all, Jesus said that heaven, in heaven, He is preparing a mansion for all of His people. Haven't you always wanted to live in a mansion? <laughs> you may, I mean, you may not have people literally say those things exactly, but that's kind of the idea. Hey, after all, you, you ought to get this Jesus thing. It's pretty good for you. Now, please don't, don't misunderstand me. I am so thrilled that I know I'm going to heaven. I mean... I'm elated that one day I will be there in the presence of God in a place where there is no more sin, therefore there is no more corruption of sin, and the effect of sin is no more felt. And there is no more curse, and there is no more sickness, and there is no more death, and, and forever and ever and ever and ever I get to be in the presence of my Lord and Savior. Face to face, I'll behold Him. I'm looking forward to that. I am so thankful and I am not downplaying that. But listen to me. As you read through the Bible, that is not the message of salvation. Receive Jesus so you can go to heaven. That's not the primary emphasis of why a person must be saved. The danger is that we often will emphasize the personal benefit of salvation, but then ignore the reality of a changed life that comes about as a result of salvation. You can almost go to the point of misrepresenting the gospel in presenting it in a way that the, the, the concept is, get saved so you can have everything that you wish you had. Or, at the very least, get saved so you can have insurance against going to hell. 
And a lot of times what happens is people are led into a false profession of faith or a false assurance of their salvation because it is based on something they did, a decision they made, a moment in time, a prayer that they prayed, and there's never any expectation for a real change to take place in that person's life. Often you'll find that these people will say, maybe I've I've read the prayer letters. We had last year, we had 200,000 people saved. And we had 300 baptisms. And I think, why the disparity? I heard a preacher today talk about an evangelist that he used to work with. And this fact that uh, what they would do is he would go to a particular church and they would set a goal of a certain number of people they wanted to see saved in a week. We could debate whether that's a good idea or not, but that's what they did. They'd set a goal. So if the goal was we want to see 100 people saved this week, then they would say, then we're going, to set a, we're going to take that number, we're going to divide it in half, and that'll be our goal for baptisms. We want 100 salvations and 50 baptisms. Can I ask, where do we find that in Scripture? Is not the expectation that 100% of people who get saved will become followers of Christ? I understand. I'm, I'm not saying that it's impossible for a Christian to backslide. I've been there. I'm not saying that there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. But why do we think that the number of people that will become followers of Christ is far less than those who become children of God. Are these things actually separated in Scripture? That's the issue that I have with the extreme of easy believism. Let me take you to the other side of the equation. Lordship salvation. Let me say again, there are varying degrees of both of these things. Within this lordship salvation movement, often the emphasis is placed on submission, full 100% submission to Christ at the point of salvation. So much so that the idea is if a person does not experience immediate, lifelong transformation at the very moment of salvation, They did not truly get saved. I've heard people say things like this before. Well, they said that they got saved. But they're still smoking. Well, they said that that they got saved, but they don't come to church yet. And the idea, the mentality behind it is almost as though when a person comes to Christ in salvation, rather than saying, praise the Lord, their, their, their response is, Meh, we'll see. Now, the Bible says that there is joy in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. 
In other words, the response of Christians ought to be rejoicing with someone when they get saved rather than looking at them with a skeptical eye. In the Lordship Salvation movement, they often will take and place and, and include scriptures related to the cost of discipleship and use them to teach that salvation comes with a cost. In other words, Jesus spoke of His disciples having to take up the cross and follow Him. That whoever would not take up His cross and follow Him could not be His disciple. And while I recognize that this is an expectation for all believers everywhere, this is not a requirement in order to be saved. God did not say... You can be saved if you are willing to make a total commitment and never go back on it. Salvation is a free gift of God. Oftentimes within this particular mindset, repentance is taught as though it is a change of life. In fact, I have even heard people say, I am not the same as I was before Christ because I repented of those things. Now let me, let me tell you that here's the problem with that. The word repent or repentance has to do with a change of mind. It, 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 is, a, it is a change of mindset. It is a turning in our mind. It means... That we, at the moment of salvation, we recognize that it is our sin that is separating us from God. It's keeping us from being right with God. And in that moment, we decide, we determine, I no longer want to live in my sin. I need Jesus. We turn in our heart to Christ. By the way, when you read the Bible... Oftentimes, the word repent or repentance is followed by the word toward, not from. In other words, we are not just turning from sin, we are turning to Christ. And what happens is, and again, the biblical perspective of this is that when a person receives Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit enters into that person and gives them new life in Christ. This is what we call regeneration. And I want to say to you that there is a change that takes place in the life of a believer. But that change is not a result of their repentance. It is a result of God's regeneration in their life. In other words, I am not the same today as I was before Christ. That's not because one day I decided I was sick and tired of my sin and I just quit. It's because one day I realized that Jesus was my only hope and I turned from my sin to Him and He reached down and saved me and made me a new creature. 
And any good that is in my life is not because I just determined, bless God, I'm not going to do these things anymore. It's because the Lord in His mercy and His grace reached down to me and changed me from the inside out. Repentance is not an issue. It's not like, you know, boy, I, I just, I decided I didn't like being fat and out of shape anymore. And so I just determined I was going to go to the gym every day for a year. That's not, that's not what repentance is. I was sick of my sin and I just decided, I was so angry with it, I just quit. Come on. Do you know what I am without Christ? Do you know what you are without Christ? Folks, it's not us. I'm a new creature because of Him. The danger of this way of thinking is that salvation is often made to be difficult as though a person has to come to a place of deep sorrow and anguish over sin before the Lord is willing to save them. And oftentimes the result of that is causing believers to doubt their salvation because after all, how repentant was I really when I supposedly got saved. Did I repent enough? Was my heart in it? Was I really giving everything to the Lord? And in extreme cases, this can even cause confusion about the freeness of salvation. As though somehow it's something that we earn by our repentance and our works. Salvation is not of works, it is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So while both of these two points of view actually have some significant points of truth, at their extremes, they're dangerous ditches on either side of the road of truth that can lead us into error and can kill a true spirit of evangelism within a Christian and within a church. So tonight, for the next few moments, I want to just give you the biblical perspective of salvation and how we ought to go about trying to lead someone to Christ. First of all, let me say to you that there is an entrance, and that entrance is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is an entrance to salvation. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to just give you uh, some scriptures. We won't take the time to turn to them all. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12 says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's speaking of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The way of salvation is Christ. We receive Christ by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves, it's not of our own works. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, very familiar to us. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We receive Christ by faith and because of His grace. This faith does include repentance. Repentance from sin and repentance toward God. 
Acts chapter number 20. I'll go ahead and read this for you because I don't want to misquote it. Acts chapter 20 and verse number uh, 21. Acts 20 verse 21. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 1 also speaks of repentance and faith. Hebrews 6 verse 1, Therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. And we could show you other scriptures as well. We receive Christ, very simply, we receive Christ when we turn from our sin to Him and believe on Him. That's when a person is saved. Now, the expectation is then that when a person is born again, they are brought into the family of God, that this will result in a changed life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, go there with me if you would. 2 Corinthians 5. When a person is born again, the result is a changed life. Look what it says in verse number 14 of 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That was the message of the last song that we sang tonight. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride in the last Verse of that song, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. What's he saying? When I consider that Christ died for me, by the way, if Christ died for me, that means I was dead. He had to die to give me life. And when I realize that price that was paid for me, it constrains me to give my life in obedience to Him. And then it says in verse number 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. A couple of things I want to point out to you about that. It says, if any man be in Christ. This, isn't, this is not saying, listen, this is not saying, if you are saved, your life should be different. What this is saying is, if you are saved, your life is different. And a salvation that does not produce a change in life, biblically speaking, is not salvation at all. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But, let me say this very clearly again, 
It does not say if any man will be in Christ, he must be a new creature. It doesn't say if you want to be saved, you've got to change your life and clean yourself up in order to be saved. It simply says if you are in Christ, this is the result. And the changed life is not the means to salvation, it's the result of salvation. But the expectation is, if you're a child of God, that's going to show forth in your life. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves, it's not of our own works, but this faith will produce fruit in our lives. This is why James says in James chapter 2 that faith without works is dead being alone. True faith, true salvation produces fruit that continues in our lives. Notice I say fruit, not perfection. There is no such thing as sinless perfection or perfect sanctification, or entire sanctification in this life. We will all continue to struggle with sin. We will all continue to face failure. And really, the the closer I get to God, the more aware I become of my own failures. And yes, I confess my sin to God on a daily basis, because I sin daily. We will struggle with sin. It's not perfection, but there is a change. And that change begins in the heart. It begins in our desires. It begins with this mentality. Again, just an understanding. If Christ died for me, then I was dead. And because I now live, I need to live not for myself, but for Him. There is an expectation of a changed life. So the entrance is by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone. The expectation is when a person is born again, it will bear itself out in their life. By the way, notice this. This solves those issues we talked about earlier. A person who has a false assurance of their salvation because they prayed a prayer at some point. That issue could be solved if they understand that genuine salvation shows up in your life. Really the proof of our salvation is not the moment of a profession, but it's the product that comes about as a result. Read the book of 1 John. It's all about it. If you're in Christ, these things are going to be in you. But also the issue of the person who struggles to know, well, you know, did I repent enough? And, 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 and you know, was I really willing to give myself to the Lord? Listen, Christ gave Himself for you. It is by grace through faith. And so then, that brings us back to our original question. How do we, as the evangelists, as the soul winners, how do we go about bringing someone to Christ while avoiding these extremes? I want to give you some real simple tips. Again, remember, it is not our responsibility to save. It's simply our responsibility to be witnesses. This takes the pressure off of us 
to try and lead someone to a decision point. The Bible says that salvation is not, John chapter 1, verse number 13, salvation is not of blood, it's not of a bloodline, it's not because of who our family is, it's not of the will of the flesh, we don't save ourselves, and it says it's not of the will of man, I can't save anyone else, but it's of God. Salvation is of God. It's something God has to do in their lives. Remember that it's not our responsibility to save, but to be witnesses. Secondly, emphasize the seriousness of sin. A lot of times in the easy believism mentality and way of thinking, sin is just kind of one of those obstacles that I have to get someone to admit that they have sin in their life, and then I can move on to the next point. But biblically, sin is the problem. Sin is the problem that it has to be addressed. Sin is what separates us from God. And by the way, much of the, New, the Old Testament was dedicated to showing us our sin. The entire law that was given by God through Moses... All of that Old Testament law, the New Testament clarifies for us, and Galatians was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Galatians 3, 20-25. That by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law was given not so that we could attain perfection, but so that we could see our own imperfections. So that we could see our inability to be right with God in our flesh. God spent a lot of time and effort showing us our sins. And He told His prophets, like Isaiah, lift up your voice like a trumpet and show my people their sins. And a a serious presentation of the gospel must include an emphasis on the seriousness of sin that separates us from God And sends us to hell. People need to understand that not only are they hell bound. But they are hell deserving. Every one of us here deserves. Eternity in the lake of fire. The wages of sin is death. And we have earned our wages. But. The gift of God. Is eternal life through. Jesus Christ, our Lord, emphasize the seriousness of sin, but also emphasize the sufficiency of Christ. That Jesus is enough. That what Jesus did on the cross is absolutely sufficient to pay for your sins and to save your soul. 1 John chapter 5 tells us that the issue of salvation is not about our works. It is about whether or not we have Christ. And so in verse number 11, it says that he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And the issue of salvation boils down to one simple thing. Do you have Jesus or not? We know that you have sin because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the real question is, do you have Jesus? Do you have the solution to sin? Have you been born again? Emphasize the sufficiency of Christ. And then let me say this also, just some simple things here. As you seek to be a better soul winner, 
can I encourage you to study for yourself not just a few proof texts, not just a few verses. Don't just memorize the Romans road, though that's a fine thing to get started, to know how to witness to someone and tell them about Christ. But don't just memorize a few verses that you need to give someone. Study for yourself what the Bible says about salvation. Go with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. I want to just read for you a passage of Scripture here, a portion that deals so directly with how a person is saved. Romans chapter number 10. Verse number 1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. He diagnoses the problem. Because they don't understand the righteousness of God, they therefore don't understand their own sin. So they need to know how righteous God is so that they can understand their own sin. Before a person can be saved, they have to become lost. They have to see themselves as lost. You go down to verse number 9, and what does it say? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And yes, it does mean that you are confessing Him as Lord. That does not mean that your life is perfect and that you've cleaned yourself up and made yourself right with God. But it is an, a confession that Jesus is Lord. And if He's Lord of all, that means He's Lord in my life also. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Do you get that from this passage the emphasis is if people are going to be saved, Christ needs to be preached? It doesn't say preach three simple steps of how you can go to heaven. It says preach Christ. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. It says in verse number 4. Christ is the righteous one who reveals to us our unrighteousness. Christ is the Lord who must be confessed and believed upon in order to be saved. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me say it to you as clearly as I can tonight. Christ is not the means to the end. He is the end in Himself. Jesus is not simply a formula by which a person can now have their eternal destination transferred from hell to heaven, Jesus is the person that they need to know. And He is the end. It's not their works, and it's not a process, it's Christ. 
Emphasize Christ. Then let me say this also very quickly. Use biblical terms in witnessing to someone. And avoid unscriptural terms and phrases. Sometimes we have to be careful about this because we have a certain lingo in the way that we talk that's not necessarily derived from the scriptures. Let me give you two phrases on either side of the spectrum that you will not find in the Bible. Phrase number one. Are you willing to ask Jesus into your heart? You don't find it in the Bible. Asking Jesus into your heart is not a biblical term. You will not find it. Here's the other one. Are you willing to make Jesus Lord of your life? Listen. We don't make Jesus anything. Jesus is Lord. Now, we, we could ask, are you willing to submit to Him as Lord? But use biblical phrases. One example would be 1 John 1, verse number 12, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Are you willing to receive Christ? Whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you willing to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you call on Jesus today for your salvation? I'm just saying, let's use biblical terms and phrases and not try to use our little Christian lingo that isn't really scriptural to begin with and muddy the waters. Use the Word of God to help people understand what it means to be saved. And then lastly, let me say this, just continually preach the gospel. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the cross, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Preach the gospel. Just, just sow the seed, sow the seed, sow the seed. This doesn't have to be complicated. Just preach Christ. And the outcome will be eventually fruit that you will bear. Seeds that you sow, seeds that you water will eventually bring forth fruit. But that ought not be a source of pride because we plant, we water, but God gives the increase. But just be faithful to plant and water.